All right, well, we are starting a new series this morning, and we're going to be going through Romans 8. The title of the series is More Than Conquerors, okay? So if you're familiar with Romans 8, you might know that that language, More Than Conquerors, comes from the end of Romans chapter 8, verse 37. So the last two weeks, we've focused on Revelation 4 and 5. Brian mentioned that um, in, at the beginning of the service. Uh, And we read some of uh, Revelation 4 and 5. So our infinitely worthy, holy, holy, holy creator God is worthy of all of our worship and our infinitely worthy lion-like, lamb-like redeemer is worthy of all of our worship, okay? And, I mean, I guess you could say if you look at Revelation 4 and 5, it's almost like Revelation 4 and 5 could be the center of gravity of the Bible, which is kind of to say that Revelation 4 and 5, the truth there, could be the center of gravity of reality, of the whole universe, right? The throne room of God and who he is and all of his glory as creator and redeemer. So if you remember, it's a little bit of context because there's a connection, an important connection between Revelation 4 and 5, that series, and the one we're starting now. So Revelation 1, the resurrected Lord appeared to John the Apostle, elderly Apostle John, with a revelation of the things to come. And Jesus had something to say to the seven churches, these letters to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. So he had commendation for some and warning for some and exhortations for all of them. One of the repeated calls in those letters is this. Um, Just one example from chapter 3, verse 21. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So we ask the question, how? How are we going to conquer? How are we going to overcome all of the challenges of life in this fallen world, our own sin? How are we going to persevere in faith to the end like Barb did? How are we, how are you, how am I going to make it faithfully, running the race of faith all the way to the end with all the challenges and finish well in faith, having spent this little vapor, this little brief life that we have, spent it well, and even to face death with excitement like Barb did to see her Savior, to see our Savior face to face. So how? How are we going to do that? Through failure and regret, through doubts and fears, through threats and what-ifs, through loss and suffering, which we all face in this life. Well, the answer in Revelation 5 is the Lion of Judah, the King. He's conquered. And so we can conquer because he first conquered for us. How did he conquer, though? He conquered by being conquered, by being condemned in our place on the cross, the Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world, slain for our sins, in our place for our sins. So he took care of our biggest problem. He reconciled us to God. If you're trusting in Christ as your Savior, then there's no condemnation nothing to fear. So he died to redeem people for God from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. He's the pioneer and the finisher of our faith. So he who began a good work in you and me, if you're in Christ, 
He's going to be faithful to complete it. So Revelation 4 and 5, this kind of like center of gravity of the Bible. And when the lion, lamb, redeemer is our center of gravity in how we live, how we go about our daily lives, then we will overcome. We will persevere to the end. Everything's going to be okay. Like we can even say that to our brothers and sisters who are dying for their faith or under threat of death in Afghanistan. It's going to be okay. Yeah, you might die, but it's going to be okay. So that's the big picture. And if that's the big picture, we could say that Romans 8 is like zooming in a little bit and showing us what it looks like to overcome, to persevere in faith, like on the ground day to day. So look ahead, the end of the chapter, Paul asks in chapter 8, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, all these threats, can they tear us away from Christ? Look at how he answers in 8.37. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So listen, I know, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this in the past, you know, preachers can be like given to hyperbole. And whatever passage, you know, the preacher's on that week can be like the most important thing, you know, the most important passage in the Bible. But come on, this is Romans 8, folks. This is like one of the lodestars of the Bible. This is one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible. So this chapter will help ensure that the triune, glorious Father, Son, and Spirit, Creator and Redeemer, is the center of gravity in our lives. Or you could say the sun in the solar system of our lives. Us orbiting around Him, centering our lives on Him. So I imagine Romans 8 is precious to many of you. You're probably really familiar with it. Some of you may have even memorized it in the past. So here's where I want to challenge and encourage you, and I'm doing the same to myself. Let's go on a journey together these next six weeks or however long it takes. It first started at five weeks, and by the middle of this week, it was six weeks, and who knows? It might be longer by next week, but maybe some of you will actually want to memorize Romans 8 over the next six weeks. I'm going to try. I don't think you'll regret it, even if you only make it to verse 7. Like, that's better than nothing. So, whether you do that or not, can I urge you all to commit to meditating on Romans 8 for the next six weeks? So, I don't know if meditating on Scripture is new for you or if that sounds weird. Like, wait, meditating for six weeks? Like, how would you do that? I remember back when I was in seminary and grad school, and um, Wayne Grudem was my advisor. If you've ever seen his systematic theology books, it's about that thick. Um, and we would meet weekly for prayer. And I remember him just saying in an offhanded way, he pulls out this card from his pocket, and he's like, I've been meditating on this passage for this past month. And I was like, what? Meditating on one chunk of Scripture for a month? Like it was foreign to me, even though I grew up in the church. And so <laughs> I have learned since then both seeing how the Bible talks about meditation and seeing its experiencing its value in my own life. Listen, Psalm 1 tells us, 
Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then listen to the payoff, the benefits. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which, and he'll yield his fruit in its season. Like, it'll make you fruitful. You'll be planted, you'll be durable. When the hot winds blow, the leaf won't wither. So under pressure and under trial, you will be durable and fruitful even through all of that. These are all the benefits of meditating on Scripture so that it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, but we slow down and soak it in so that it soaks down into our souls and strengthens us and fruit is born. So each week I'm going to print off, and there's an electronic format, so maybe you saw it out on the table or... Chad, you can put it up here on the screen, um, or Hope, or whoever's back there. Um, so I know you probably can't read this. That's okay. But this is what it looks like. And if, you, if this method isn't helpful for you, fine. Figure out your own method. But listen, the whole point is slow down and think. Meditate on what's going on. There is therefore. I wonder what the therefore is there for. Like, you've got to go back to chapter 7. Now. Does that word matter? What does that mean? It actually is really meaningful in the book of Romans. There is no condemnation. Hmm. What's the soundtrack like in your head sometimes when you wake up in the morning? Anybody beat themselves up? Anybody like, you know, just kind of have this broken record of your failures or how you're frustrated with yourself? Hey, I see that hand. There you go. So maybe... This is really good news. That there's no condemnation. For who? For those who are in Christ Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Why is this true? Because the law of the spirit of life, what is that all about? Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death? Like you got to know what these things mean. So I've I've heard it talked about that meditation is like the middle discipline between Bible reading and study and prayer. So when when you... start reading and you slow down in your pondering sometimes it sends you back to study more like I need to know what this means and sometimes it sends you to prayer where you're like Lord there's no condemnation but I keep condemning myself and the evil one loves to wag his finger in my face and remind me of my sins and condemn me so would you help me do you see how it leads to prayer and back and forth and back and forth. So it's like this beautiful middle discipline. So anyway, we could go through it the whole way, but slow down. And what I do is I print this thing off and I go for a walk. And there's like, see all that white space on the top right? You can write your questions there. You can write your insights like, Lord, help me understand what this means. Maybe I need to go back and look at a study Bible or maybe, or oh my goodness, this is so encouraging. Or maybe I need to share this with so-and-so. And you write it down. Or you remember, oh shoot, I forgot to put the garbage out. So you can write that on the corner and then you can kind of clear your mind and focus on what actually matters, okay? Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, dead serious, oftentimes there's like five things I've got to do. Now I don't have to try to focus on God and keep that list going in my head. So anyway, you don't have to take a prayer walk, but if it's helpful, it's hard to fall asleep while you're walking. Um, So... Anyway, I commend that to you, but we're going to do this each week, and I would encourage you, 
to take some time, like plan to take some time to really slow down and soak in these texts and ask a bunch of questions like, "What, Lord, I've read Romans 8 a hundred times. What does it actually mean? What does this mean? Help me understand what this means. And then would you help me believe it and help it to just like soak down into my soul and change me? So another thing, um, sorry, this is all intro, but that's why we're only doing the first four verses. I was originally going to do the first 11 this morning. Um, so also, if you want to really dive in, this book, it doesn't look like this anymore, but Supernatural Living for Natural People, Ray Ortland Jr., excellent little book, Studies in Romans 8. Um, the new cover has this guy that's, you know, ripped just like me. No, okay, not really. Um, like this, you know, kind of cruciform. Um, anyway, really, really encouraging, good book. Supernatural Living for Natural People. Um, and the church that he used to pastor, Emmanuel Church with an I in Nashville, put together an album of songs that puts Romans 8 word for word to music. And you can find it on Spotify or Apple Music or, you know, just in your search engine, type in Romans 8 live Emmanuel worship, and it'll come up and you can listen to it. And you'd be listening to Romans 8 while we go through this series. Also, we're going to bring back the community discussions. Okay, maybe if you're newer here, came since COVID or whatever, I can't remember when the last time we've done this, but we've done this a number of times in the, in the life of our church where we shorten the service on purpose and end with, you know, 10, 15 minutes and give opportunity for the mic to just be passed around to hear how the word is changing us and give testimony. So I'm hoping, I'm expecting, I'm praying, would you join me, that this awesome, lodestar, powerful, life-changing chapter is going to actually do some business and change us and encourage us. And maybe what you're meditating on will be just what you needed that week or that day or in that situation. And it's so cool how God providentially worked that out. And you know what? When you share that on a Sunday, everybody's encouraged to go meditate some more and pray that God would work powerfully. So we're going to do that on the Sundays that we don't have communion. So we're not doing it this morning. The next three, Lord willing, then there's communion again. And then I think the last one, if, if this is a six-part series, that's how it's going to look. Okay, that's all the kind of here we go, Romans 8 sort, sort of stuff. Like, everybody ready for this journey? Come on, let's just, like, jump in here, okay? Like, community groups, talk about it, okay? Who's memorizing it with me? Like, or if you're meditating, share what you're learning in that context as well. Let's really dive in. Okay. <clears throat> so, you've heard of maybe, how many of you have had a CAT scan? Okay, how many have had an MRI? So this might be a little cheesy, but I think you'll see why I'm saying it here in a minute. Imagine that there was an SPI scan. I know it's cheesy, it's so cheesy. Okay, spirits presence imaging. Okay. <laughs> so if we could send you into a tube and see what aspects of you register the strongest presence of the Spirit, strongest control of the Spirit, would the highest concentrations 
be the aspects of your life where you are, two options here, most alive and vital or most dull and languishing? Like really simple, but think about this. So your sexuality, your thought life, your desires, your dreams, what you're grateful for, what you're most concerned about, what you love, what you hate, what gives you joy. Your level of patience or your attitude or how you give of time or money or possessions or talents. So just, it's simple, but it's, I think, telling. Maybe it helps us see. Okay, scary too, yeah. Don't worry, there's help for all of us that are intimidated here. Listen, do you and I live as though yieldedness to God's Spirit is the path to freedom and life and vitality? Or oftentimes we, li- we live as if that's the path to death and suppression and loss. Like, we stiff-arm the Spirit. So perhaps Romans 7 resonates more than you'd like it to, and I know it resonates more than I'd like it to in my life. So I'm just going to read a few little sections of Romans 7, 15 to 24, and I think they'll be up on the screen here. Anybody resonate with this? For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am. How encouraging that the Apostle Paul wrote this. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Anybody resonate with that? I do. Anybody here ever feel stuck? You keep failing and end up with this internal feedback loop of failure and guilt and self-reproach and worthlessness. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) You don't have to put up your hand. So what does God say to people like that, like us? To failures, to sinners, to strugglers, people like me and you. Does he say, what's wrong with you? Like, you guys are pathetic. You better get your act together. Is that how he talks? Like, is that how Romans 8 starts? Does he, like, get out the bat of the law and just take a big, like, home run swing right to the solar plexus? No. Actually, chapter 7 ends with, thanks be to God who's given us the victory through Jesus Christ. So, point number one, verse number one of chapter eight, no condemnation in Christ. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel is good news for bad people. And it is finished and complete. Listen, there are two options here. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. 
So all of us are born in Adam, right? We're all going to die because God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. It was, my provision is complete. I want to bless you. There's one prohibition, and I don't want you to die, so don't eat of this fruit. And that's what they did. And the evil one tempted them, and they bought the bill of goods, and everything broke. So all of us, you don't have to teach little kids to disobey you because we're all born bent and broken, right? So we're all in Adam, and we're going to die. And we're all, we're all like sheep, just wander away. We want to go our own way. We want to be in charge of our own lives, and we make a train wreck of things. But for those who are in Christ, it's no longer condemnation, but salvation and justification. You are right with God in the courtroom. The gavel falls, and it's pardon. And you are not only you know, judicially pardoned, but you're reconciled to God. He's your Father. He loves you. There's nothing in between us anymore because Jesus took care of the sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're safe in Him. And you could look at the rest of Romans chapter 5, um, the other half after what Bill read this morning, to see that worked out in such beautiful powerful ways. So there is now, if you are united with Christ by faith, so if you've seen your sin, your need for a Savior, that you are like a sheep wandering off astray and you are lost and there's no way you can save yourself, you see Jesus and all of his beautiful Savior loving sufficiency and you say, I've got nothing to bring with my sin. But you died for this sin. So you turn from your sin, like turn from going your own way. That's called repentance. And you trust in Jesus and you say, "Ah, I'm yours. And he saves you. Then you are in Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. And if you came in this morning and you weren't in Christ, you can be in Christ as you go out because you can just come with the empty hands of faith and say, I, I need you. Save me. So it is finished. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross? It is finished. There's no condemnation left. If he actually paid your debt, do you need to flog yourself to be worthy? Well, you know, the cross wasn't quite enough. No, there's no condemnation left if you're in Christ. Is there discipline for us, like when we need to grow and, and change and be corrected? Sure. Is there a need for growth? Absolutely. But if we're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Even if you so often live in Romans 7 that you're sick of it. (laughs) So Jesus' death brought liberation and pardon. Look at 8.33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, his chosen ones? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Nobody can undo what he does, what he says. So this 8-1 encouragement is a declaration for all the Roman 7 strugglers out there. It's It's not being dangled out there for you like once you get your act together. 
then there won't be any condemnation. No, it's for everybody who comes to Jesus in faith. So Ray Ortland in this book, page 25, he says, your union with Christ says more about you in the sight of God than your own habits and mood swings and weaknesses, and we could add strengths, say about you. Do you hear that? Because how do we feel oftentimes we're like, on our good days, then we feel like God's probably happy with us and he loves us. But on our bad days, we're kind of like thinking, oh, I need to keep my distance. No. <laughs> There's no condemnation. You're as justified on your bad days as you're on your good days. It was never your performance anyway. It's up to what Jesus did. So your union with Christ says more about you in the sight of God than your own habits and mood swings and weaknesses say about you. So listen, assurance, this kind of confidence and assurance that the Bible, that God wants to give to us is not a license to sin, right? Paul had to deal with that back in chapter 6. We won't take the time to look at it, but you can look at chapter 6, verse 1. What? So if, if, if it's all by grace, then, you know, should we just sin more? And Paul's like, come on. <laughs> and he says, no, you can go back there and read later. So the confidence that's supplied here is not intended to lead to indifference or a passive approach or laissez-faire kind of spiritual attitude. It's intended to function to create humble, grateful security. Do you know God wants you to be secure in his love for you? This, Romans 8, is like oxygen for the soul. So breathe deeply, brothers and sisters. Take a deep breath of gospel relief. <sighs> Everything's okay. Like, I'm not on trial, I'm accepted. There's no condemnation. <laughs> like, somebody pinch me. And nobody can separate me from this. Nothing can separate me from this. Like you can take a deep breath of gospel relief and then breathe deeply the grace-filled, spirit-filled atmosphere that Romans 8 gives us. So Ray Ortland again here. Self-reproach. reason is because I'm like encouraging you to go read this book, you know? So Ray Ortland says, self-reproach does not bind you to godliness as if beating ourselves up is so spiritual, you know? Like, yeah, we should take sin seriously. We should mourn our sin. We should, you know, hate it and turn from it. But don't keep beating yourself up as if you're more spiritual to do some sort of weird penance. Self-reproach does not bind you to godliness. Confidence in Christ does. Trust him as your all-sufficient Savior. Romans 8.1 is announcing to you with unqualified clarity the absoluteness of your acceptance in Christ. God not only accepts you, he wants you to know that he accepts you because you will never see liberating breakthroughs to new levels of personal holiness, growth in Christ, becoming more like Jesus, except in the reassuring atmosphere of grace. So there is therefore now no condemnation, brothers and sisters. But that's not all. Point number two, set free by the Spirit. Look at verse two. For the law of the Spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Hmm. Okay, got to meditate here, right? Because what does this mean? Like if we're really going to benefit from it, we need to understand what it means. So the law of the spirit of life, like is, is the law, isn't that like the Ten Commandments? So is he saying the Ten Commandments of the Spirit? Well, this could be referring to how the Spirit writes the law on our hearts. If you're familiar with the promises of the New Covenant, it's not going to be written on tablets of stone like, you know, Sinai. But it's going to be written on our hearts, and we're going to be changed from the inside out. Okay. But law also can be used in the sense of a power or kind of a, um, like a, almost like an axiom. Okay. So, Look at Romans, let's do this kind of quickly here. Um, look at Romans 7, 7. So Paul, back in Romans 7, is saying that the law is good, and he's actually talking about, you know, the Torah, the Ten Commandments, and so forth. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. You know, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. So he's referring to the Ten Commandments, right? The law. Okay. But look down at verse 21. So I find it to be a law, like an operating principle. There's something at work here, a power at work. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So do you see he's using law in a different way there? For I delight in the law of God. He's talking about, you know, Ten Commandments of the Torah in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin, the power of sin, the way sin works that dwells in my members. So why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because you've been set free in Christ Jesus. The power of the Spirit applying the work of Christ is more decisive than the power of sin and death. You used to be subject to the power of sin and death. But now you've been set free and now you're under grace and the Spirit leads and guides you rather than sin and death. So the penalty of sin is taken care of by the finished work of Christ on the cross. There's no condemnation. And the power of sin is broken by the mighty work of the Spirit within us. We've been set free from the power of sin and death, the impact, the, the kind of law, the way things go if you're under sin and death. You've been set free from that. So how about that for God's gifts for Christians with real problems? <laughs> like, we've got real problems, right? But oh my goodness, we've got real power. We've got real resources here. We've got the gospel of the finished work of Christ on the cross. We've got the almighty spirit of God at work within us. God wants us to live a supernatural life. Don't try to bootstrap this one. It'll never work. You remember the error that the Galatians fell into? Just follow along here. Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was... It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law 
or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh, like trying to do this in your own strength, on your own steam? No, how do we actually change? Do we change by more laws, better laws, trying harder, you know, simply kind of in our own strength? No, we change, we grow by the power of the, the Spirit, by the power of the gospel at work in us, the grace of God, the Spirit making those truths and realities so real and sweet to us that we're changed from the inside out. So, he goes on with explanation for how this works in verse 3. So point number 3, God has done it by sending his Son. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So how is it that no condemnation can be declared to those who are in Christ Jesus? How is it that the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death? We couldn't do it, but God did. We couldn't do it, but God has done it. The law couldn't do it. The law can't change us. So when it's written on tablets of stone or on you know, parchment or whatever, it's out here. But in here, it doesn't have power to change me. That doesn't mean that the law is bad. It's good. But it's not able to change me, to change you, to transform us. And the reason is because there's a problem in us. It's not a problem with the law. Actually, it ends up kicking up our sin when we have, you know, hard hearts. It's like, I've used this illustration before, you know, like if the teenagers are walking on the path and the sign says, you know, quiet time, 10 a.m. to 6 a.m. or 8 a.m. or something like that, no yelling, what are they going to do? Oh, okay, let's whisper. No, like hard hearts, like, oh, you're going to, who, says who? Can you tell me what to do? And we all have ultimately that kind of hard heart naturally unless we're changed by the Spirit, okay? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Who says? So we couldn't do it. The law couldn't do it, but God did it by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't sinful, but he, was, he took on flesh and blood. He was condemned in the flesh so that he could condemn sin in the flesh. He's our representative. He had to be human to be our representative, to be our substitute. In my place condemned, he stood. So if you are in Christ, you will never be condemned even though some people might try. You've been pardoned, accepted, reconciled. You have been adopted. You will hear, just like Barb did, well done, good and faithful servant, not depart from me. I never knew you. So Jesus was condemned and forsaken in your place so that you and I will never be condemned and forsaken. And he did it all for a purpose. Last point, verse 4, that we might fulfill the law. So he sent his son, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who's the us? Those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what's going on here? What is this, the flesh? Because we don't want to walk that way. 
We want to walk according to the Spirit. So usually when we talk about what the flesh refers to, it's our sinful nature, right? Um, we think of texts like Galatians 5. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, etc. Okay? Yeah, that's all true. But if that's all we say, we might miss out on one of the most insidious ways that the flesh operates. Track with me here. Where do you fit in Philippians 3 if the definition of the flesh is just, you know, lust and anger and all this stuff? Philippians 3, Paul says, we put no confidence in the flesh, even though I have reason for confidence. And then he gives his spiritual resume. Or again, remember Galatians 3, Having begun with the Spirit, are you trying now to be perfected in the flesh? Trying to be religious and moral in your own strength? Or think about it this way. Luke 15, parable of the lost son. You know, the younger son, yeah, he went out and lived this, you know, kind of debauched life. He was living in the flesh, right? Well, guess what? So was the older son. He was keeping the rules, and he was self-righteous and proud, and he was just as much in the flesh, actually more a slave to it than the younger son. The younger son came to his senses. The older son was like the Pharisees. So listen. <laughs> I mean, the playboy and the Pharisee are operating by the same flesh at the root. Now connect this to how you and I live. Do you see how we could do the Christian life in the flesh rather than in the supernatural way that this passage is laying out for us. So think about it this way. Give me, let me just give you some practical examples. You know you can read the Bible in the flesh, right? Some people do it this way, to check off the boxes to feel better about themselves. I mean, yeah, the flesh can lead you away from reading the Bible, you know, like YouTube is more interesting or social media or the news or whatever. But the flesh can also lead you to read the Bible as rebar that you lay down to support your self-righteousness. Or you can read the Bible by the Spirit, according to the Spirit, because you are desperate for grace. You are hungry to know God. You're not trying to impress anybody. You just need more, more of God's grace. You need Jesus. You know, you can volunteer in the flesh or you can do it by the Spirit. You can give money to the church or other ministries in the flesh or by the Spirit. You know, the Pharisees were like ringing the bell whenever they, you know, gave. They want everybody to see them. And there was that poor little widow that just, you know, put in all that she had to live on and Nobody would have seen it, but Jesus saw it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, Jesus said. So there's two different ways to live here. So how present is the Spirit in your daily, weekly, normal life? Are you like, oh, God, save us from just being religious? You can be really religious in the flesh. What we want is to be miracles of grace, 
walking in newness of supernatural spirit-wrought life. Like how in the world are you going to bear the the fruit of genuine love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, especially in our world today that's so crazy divided and everybody's yelling at each other on social media and, you know, when you get home because of, you know, the way this person views this and this and politics and masks and vaccines and like... Maybe our present moment is so divisive and contentious because, in the church I mean, maybe it's putting so much pressure on the church because too many in the church are living in the flesh, like religious in the flesh, not supernatural in the spirit. We're like, okay, whatever, masks, like I was meant to bring one. Like, how big is this thing? Is that really big enough to be a center of gravity in my life? little light thing. Who cares? <laughs> I got reconciled to God. Like, Jesus is mine. There's no condemnation. The Spirit of God is with me. Like, hey, I'm flexible. Like, you need me to wear a mask? I don't care. Whatever. Like, I'm going to... Because it doesn't matter. It's so small. Because what is the center of gravity in my life is so much bigger. The glory of God in the face of Christ and the power of the Spirit at work within us. So... It doesn't mean we're going to have it all together. (laughs) Far from it. But we are going to embrace the fact that we can't do this thing in our own strength or by our own resources. So we need to live supernatural lives. We need to internalize the gospel. Oh, Spirit of God, move among us so that we see how desperate we are so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit, so that we have joy and peace and patience and love that is durable and abundant and we can overcome, we can persevere. I got to wrap this up. Okay, so C.S. Lewis in a little article called A Slip of the Tongue This is kind of maybe how we can wrap things up. This is what it sounds like, and this is convicting, okay? And I'm not trying to do this just to, you know, kind of poke your your chest and say, oh, you're terrible, you're terrible, you're terrible. I'm saying all of us are, we, we tend to kind of fall off the horse in this way, and we need to be reminded, oh, there's so much more for us, supernatural resources to live supernatural lives. So he he writes this, our temptation is to look eagerly for the minimum that will be accepted. We are in fact very like honest but reluctant taxpayers. It's another way to talk about what in the flesh religiosity feels like. We approve of an income tax in principle. Yeah, I should give some money to the church. Yeah, I should probably serve to some degree. You know, I should probably every once in a while have somebody over. We make our returns truthfully, but we dread a rise in the tax. Please don't ask too much of me, Lord. We are very careful to pay no more than is necessary, and we hope, we very ardently hope, that after we've paid it, there will still be enough for us to live on. Come on, it's all his, and he gives it all to us. So to live is Christ. And to die is game when you live that way. So until we are gripped 
with the joyful realities of the gospel internally, by grace, by the Spirit, we are going to be kind of controlling and just, you know, well, this much, but not too much. We're going to be thinking too much in terms of external duties, you know, as pressures and, you know, requirements force us. That's this, like, morality. It's living outside in. God wants to change us from the inside out, supernatural, spirit-empowered, power of the gospel, living, living inside out. So let me close with a poem, and then we're going to participate in the table together and sing a song and be done. So this poem by William Cooper, um, who actually lived for a while with John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Um, This guy wrote a bunch of poetry and hymns. It's called Love Constraining to Obedience. No strength of nature can suffice to serve the Lord aright. And what she has, she misapplies. What nature has, she misapplies for want, for lack of clearer light. How long beneath the law I lay in bondage and distress. I toiled the precept to obey, but toiled without success. Then... To abstain from outward sin was more than I could do. Now, if I feel its power within, I feel I hate it too. Think Romans 7. Then all my servile works were done, a righteousness to raise. Look at me. Now, freely chosen in the Son, I freely choose His ways. And then this line. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice so that's another way of what it sounds like what it how to describe this supernatural living that we can live by the power of the spirit so so it's fitting for us to come to the table now Okay, and if you didn't get the cup and the juice, you can run out to the table and grab one. But as we prepare our hearts, like where have you sought to just be religious and look good? You know, check the boxes and go through the motions. Like, do you see, like Paul did in Philippians 3, that that's just loss. It's just a waste of time. I need to repent of that. Lord, I want to live by the Spirit, this supernaturally empowered life. So, or certainly if we're living just selfishly, you know, like taxpayers, like, oh, how much do I have to give? So let's examine our hearts. Let's ask the Lord to forgive us and cleanse us where necessary. But then listen, let's be reminded of the good news. This table is not, you know, for people who have it together. You don't need a Savior if you've got it together. But we don't have it together, which is why Jesus came. And so he wants you to taste and see that he's good, to taste and just drink in and feed on the fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And just be reminded of, oh, this is food for the soul. This is, oh, I can breathe deeply. Thank you for giving me a seat at this table, Lord Jesus. So if you're not trusting Jesus, certainly appeal to you. You can trust him now. But if you're not, you've got questions, I'd love to talk to you. Just let the element, just, you know, leave this on the table back there. 
It's okay. But don't let this moment pass. Listen to what Romans 8 says. Listen to the offer of the gospel. See what all of this means and pray that the Lord will make himself real to you. So let's, I'm just going to pray briefly. Brian's going to pray quietly. We're going to just reflect and then we'll all participate together in the Lord's table. Oh God, we thank you that we have good news and that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Instead, there is just powerful, wonderful love and forgiveness and cleansing and help and strength and hope for us that we might walk following Jesus all the way, walk faithfully, lovingly. So we need your grace and we thank you that we can come to this table and feed on your grace. Lord, help us to do that. Meet with us now as we examine our hearts and as we prayerfully prepare. Lord, search us and know us. See if there is any grievous way in us and expose it and lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name.